Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. Good things are happening. We're excited to have you here this morning, and we will be picking up our study once again in the book of Acts, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We will finish chapter 15 today, as we've just got one small portion there we really didn't touch on last week. So we'll pick up in Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. If you recall from last week and really over the past two weeks, we were learning of what's called the Jerusalem Council. And the Jerusalem Council came into play because the Jewish believers of the day were having difficulty wrapping their mind and even their hearts around the idea of Gentile believers coming to the faith. And not just coming to the faith, but more specifically coming to the faith without first being circumcised and coming under the law of Moses. You see, they wanted to put obligations on these Gentile believers to ensure that they were coming to Jesus in the same way that they had come to Jesus. The problem with that was there was a whole lot of legalism involved in that. In knowing Jesus Christ and through the grace of Jesus Christ, we are no longer under the law, praise God. And so there was some great debate that was happening amongst both sets of believers here as to what exactly was required for someone to come to Jesus Christ. And while this was an issue between Jewish believer and Gentile believer, more broadly, this is an issue over law versus grace and the work of Christ and the cross for salvation. And as Christians, we have certain liberties, certain things that we needn't be legalistic about, that are acceptable for us to to do and, and to not feel guilt over. In more modern terms, what we eat, perhaps where we shop, or even maybe a show that someone watches on TV, while the Bible may not be incredibly specific about certain things, there are liberties that Christians have. The problem is sometimes those liberties can go too far. can go so far that they have a negative impact on other brothers and sisters, on other believers, causing a brother or sister to stumble. And so this chapter in particular was about finding a place of balance. And that is the Christian life in many ways, is it's about balance, not swinging the pendulum too far in one direction or the other to where we bring ourselves back under the law, that we're so legalistic about everything that we have to do to be a Christian, that we make it more than simply faith in Jesus Christ, repentance and belief. Or to the other end, where we feel as if because of the grace of Jesus Christ, that we're free to do whatever we want, when in actuality, though, yes, it may be lawful for us, it's not, as Paul would say, beneficial, both to us and to those who are around us. You see, we often become legalistic about many things, and like the Jewish believers in the early church, we can begin to create certain requirements, requirements that inevitably infringe upon the grace we experience in knowing Christ, and we can also at times take our liberties too far. And while certain things, again, may be lawful or allowed, they're not beneficial. And so we strive to find balance. And really, this idea of the law in general and and the law of grace can really be, the balance there can be found and can be summed up in what we know as the law of love. And that's ultimately what we should be pursuing as believers, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
allowing that to be your guide. We need to support one another. What we've talked about over the last couple of weeks is the reality that we are a family. As brothers and sisters in the Lord, we are a family. And so similar to families, you have to work through things. You have to work through difficulties. You need to be sensitive to one another's preferences, convictions, challenges in the faith, and work to support one another in that. If we are truly loving our neighbors as ourselves and that be our aim on a regular basis, then we will consistently, I think, find a place where we are, in fact, supporting one another, encouraging one another, being sensitive to the convictions that someone may have. And furthermore, in our own walks, we should praise God today that we do live in liberty, which means that we don't need to walk around worrying about what we can and cannot do. We know well enough, both through the Word of God and the leading of the Spirit, the things that are not pleasing to the Lord and profitable for our lives. And in those other, perhaps more gray areas, we need to be more mindful at times of the Lord's leading, but that's what we can depend on. You know, there was a lot of questions that came out of last week's teaching. Folks approached me about various things that they wondered, you know, should I not be doing this or should I be doing this? And in some cases, the answer to that can be, well, what does the Word say? You know, sometimes the Word is very specific about something that, that is either sin or something that's just not profitable. And so it can be clear through looking at the Word, but in other cases, when it's not as clear, then that's when we need to be tuned into the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you about something, well, then I would say, then heed that conviction. But at the same time, it may be a personal conviction that you have and not one that you need to place on somebody else. Just something that because of your past, because of your history, because of experiences you've had, that maybe that's something that you're more sensitive to. And we need to be mindful of that. But as a collective body of believers, we should all be conscious as well, just like the Jerusalem Council, not to put too great a burden on someone in their walk with the Lord, but to love them, to be considerate of one another. And so that's what we've seen here through this Jerusalem council, that they say, you know what, we're not going to tell these Gentile believers that they need to come under the law. We're not going to tell them that they have to be circumcised. It wouldn't be right for us to do that. It wouldn't be consistent. We don't need to add to their salvation. But we are going to ask them to do a few specific things so that they don't cause their Jewish brethren to stumble, so that they can be together in, in relative peace and harmony, encouraging one another And so it's the same way for us today, that if we know one another well, if we love one another, that we can encourage one another in our walks and be sensitive to the convictions that we each have. But relationships are hard, right? And that's what we'll see as we continue here through the end of chapter 15 and and even into the beginning of chapter 16 today is that relationships can be difficult, even within the church. Isn't this the place where it's just supposed to be so easy and perfect? We just all get along, right? Because we know Jesus, and so we just high-five one another, and everything's great all the time. All right? It's not so easy, because we're still us, right? Though there's a sanctification process happening within us, we are still sinful individuals. And the godliest of people can still have times when they're struggling with one another. And that's what we see here, unfortunately, with Paul and Barnabas as we finish out the chapter. You remember, Acts is a narrative for us. It gives us insight into what was happening during this time, even specifics about relationships and where they were going and and who they brought with them. And so we have some unique insight into a bit of a dispute that came up here after they had begun to take the decree out from the council. And so even in their efforts to go and bring peace to the Gentile believers, they had some difficulties themselves. But this is something we all still need to walk through and we should learn from here today. And so before we get any further, if you would just agree with me in prayer again. Heavenly Fathers, we've opened your word here this morning. We give you thanks for it. 
We ask for your blessing upon our time of study. And I pray, Lord, you'd speak to us here today through your word. Lord, continue to give us understanding of this balance between law and grace. Give us appreciation for, Lord, your word and, and the grace that we, we know in Jesus Christ. May we be ever so grateful for it. Recognizing, Lord, that if we were under the law, we would be lost. But it's through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice upon the cross that sets us free here today. So, Lord, as we've sung this morning that it's all about Jesus, Lord, may that continue to be our heart and our mind and our reality here today, Lord, that we would know that, that we would dwell on that, that we would sing that in our hearts throughout the day, Lord, I pray. And Father, as we go to your word, Lord, teach us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And so here they are, these godly men, Paul and Barnabas, and they're getting ready to go out on their second missionary journey. And it says in verse 36, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. You see, this is Paul's heart. This is discipleship. Paul is a pastor here. He wants to go and check in on the believers and, and see how they are. He was consistently about the Lord's business. There was an urgency for Paul to be strengthening the people and, and ministering to them. And, and what Paul wanted to do is he wanted to go to all the churches that were a part of their first missionary journey, he wanted to visit them all and see how they were doing, see how they were progressing. Because, of course, it's one thing to go to a place and establish a church and, and see a work of the Lord, see people make professions of faith. But what's potentially even more important there is to come back later on and see, are they still walking in the faith? Is there fruit of salvation that exists within the lives of these believers? And so at this point, about five years would have passed since Paul was first on this journey. So it wasn't just a few months that had gone by. It's been about five years. And so he's interested in going and checking in on these churches. He wanted to see how they were. And so in verse 37, we read, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so here we see what the word says is a sharp contention between Paul and Barnabas. And it is sad, this disagreement that we see between them. If you recall earlier from Acts chapter 13, verse 13, there was a point when John Mark had departed from them. And that's what Paul is referencing here or that Luke is writing about here. And John Mark had left them. He had left Paul and Barnabas on their first journey and he'd returned to Jerusalem. And it is apparent here that this was not a mutual decision, that Paul was not happy that Mark had left in such a way. And while we don't know all of the details of this particular decision and why it was that he left, we know Paul wasn't pleased. And because of this, he didn't want Mark on this journey with him, though Barnabas wanted him there. To Paul, the work was all too important. He was going out on their second missionary journey. He trusted, he knew that God was going to do great things, and he didn't want to be out there on the road with somebody who was going to get weak-kneed or whatever the case may be and say, I'm going to go home now. Paul was zealous, yes. Paul was passionate. Paul had been radically saved, and he was frustrated with whatever had happened here. Now, what's encouraging is we know later on, and we see this in Timothy, that eventually their relationship was, in fact, reconciled. But at this time, it was strained. And so here you have Barnabas being named the son of encouragement, 
He wanted to bring Mark along. No doubt Barnabas was excited. Oh, come on. Let's bring him back. Let's give him a second chance. Let's let him go with us. Barnabas was a happy guy. He encouraged everybody. That's how he had come to bear the name. And it could be also that there was a family tie there. We know that Barnabas and John Mark were related. Perhaps Barnabas was one to offer more grace than others. Nevertheless, their disagreement was enough to prompt them to go in in separate directions. Barnabas taking Mark and Paul taking Silas. And so we praise God that we have insight later on to know that this relationship was restored. But here within this context, it gives us insight into the fact that though they were godly individuals, they still had their disagreements. They still had their shortcomings. And it's not clear to us if there was somebody who was right and who was wrong. It doesn't really matter. We just have insight into this dynamic that's here. And nevertheless, as we will see, God still worked. And it's clear his plan and his purpose was still accomplished. And this should be a good reminder to us that God does not need us for his work. If there's anything as I prayed through this about, Lord, why do we have this within the Word? You know what the Lord showed me is it's a reminder that you're flawed. You have your issues. You have your shortcomings. That God chooses to use us in his work. It's not that he needs us. God wasn't sitting there disappointed at this point saying, well, gosh, what are we going to do now? How am I going to have this second missionary journey? How am I going to get the word out there? Now, God's plan and purpose was still carried out. And yes, he calls us to fulfill the Great Commission, and that is necessary work. But when our wills and our egos and our issues get in the way, we can at least be confident that his plan and purpose will still prevail. And we should praise him for that. Now, we should also be mindful of how sometimes those same wills and and egos and that pride can also prevent us from experiencing the blessing that God has for us too. While his plan and his purpose will prevail, we can miss out on what God has for us. Far too often, we leave an unopened gift in the corner that God has for us. He says, I want to do something great in your life. If you would just listen and obey and follow And so, of course, you know, we can be encouraged here that in their weaknesses, the same weaknesses that we share in, we can also see the faith that developed here and know that we can share in that same faith. And so as we transition then into chapter 16, verse 1, we read, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, so now Paul and Silas are going out, and and behold, it says, a certain disciple was there, named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So Paul and Silas are off now. They're on the road again, and and they're out strengthening the churches along the way, and they come to Derbe and to Lystra, and the word says, Behold. It draws our attention. It says, Look at this. There was a certain disciple there. Timothy was his name. And now that name might sound familiar to you. You see, this is such a cool situation here is now we see how Paul comes to know Timothy. This was that Timothy that Paul would call his beloved son, his son in the faith. This is the Timothy that would join Paul and become his assistant, that would in many ways replace what John Mark had been doing for them in the first missionary journey. And not just that, not that he would just be his assistant, but that he would later become the leader of the church in Ephesus. This was the beginning of a very fruitful relationship. Now, what was the cause for such a connection? Why was it that in coming into this area, Paul encountered such an individual that it says, Behold, here's this disciple Timothy. Why was it that this 
connection was there. Well, if you recall what happened the last time that Paul was here in Lystra. Remember, this had been about five years, give or take, depending on where they were on the journey. Now, several years ago, this is the place where Paul was nearly stoned to death. Again, some people believe that he was dead, that he was dead and resurrected. Others say he was stoned and beaten so badly that he was lifeless. He was drug out of the city, and when he came to, whether through supernatural power or he just sort of woke up from this trauma that he had gone through, he didn't move on. If you recall, he didn't say, oh, I need a vacation now, I need a sabbatical. He said, we're going right back in. We're going right back in there. Because he knew that the Lord had work for him to finish. The work wasn't done yet. So here this man, Paul, nearly stoned to death, is drug out of the city, left for dead. And those who are there with him, when he comes to, no doubt they would have said, well, let's get you to a safe place. Let's protect you. Let's get you healed up. He said, no, we're going back into the city. We're going back in. And there's no doubt in my mind that this had an incredible impact on Timothy. Whether he observed it firsthand or maybe just parts of it, maybe he had seen Paul, or maybe he had just heard all about it. We don't know exactly. But what we do know is that Paul's example was a living testimony, a living testimony that prompted Timothy and some of his own family members to turn to the Lord. And this once again reinforces the fact that you never know who is watching. Think back to the very beginning of the first martyr, Stephen. Go back to the beginning of Acts, and we talked about there that here, this man Stephen, such a shame that he was stoned to death and died so early. There was so much potential in Stephen's life, so much that he could have done. Why, God, would you have taken him so early? Yet we know Stephen was at peace. Stephen was at peace with his death. Even knowing that he was about to be stoned to death, he had such peace as he looked to the heavens and saw Jesus Christ. And we know later on that it was Paul, right? It was Paul who was standing there. It was Paul, then Saul, who stood there and and gave permission, essentially, for Stephen to be stoned to death. And that had to have had such a profound impact on Paul. We know it did because in the very first sermon that we have of Paul's, it's like he could have stolen it from Stephen. It had an impact. It was in his heart. And so that life, that life of Stephen had such an impact, and it gave us the Apostle Paul. It's that work that was done that prompted repentance in his life as the Spirit drew Paul into repentance. And so now we see in much the same way then, Paul's life having an impact on Timothy. And you see how it goes. It just sort of snowballs the impact that our lives have when maybe we don't even know it. Paul was likely not even aware of it at this point. Here he comes and he encounters Timothy. We may never know the fruit of the work that we do in the Lord, but we must trust that our obedience to the Lord has an impact. That's faith. That's faith. It's about believing and obeying and trusting that then God is going to use that. He's going to use our obedience. Inevitably, Christian, your actions are either leading people to Jesus or away from Jesus. Do you believe that today? For Paul here, his actions led people to the Lord. And now he's getting the benefit, sometimes the rare benefit, to see the fruit of what God had done in his life, his obedience to the Holy Spirit, his willingness that when he came to from being stoned near death to saying probably everything in his body wanted to say, get out of there. Some of you here, myself included, ran a 5K yesterday. It was just a little 5K. We celebrated, you know, we just ran on this little trail and we get done and we're like, oh, it hurts. 
right? So you woke up this morning, you felt the pain from just being awake yesterday, right? And here he's nearly stoned to death. And he comes to and he says, the Holy Spirit's telling me we need to go back. And now he gets the benefit. Do you see why there would be such joy for him to call this Timothy a son in the faith? Because he got the opportunity to see some of the fruit of the work. And now in verse 3, we see that Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now we'll pause there, and you may be saying right now, now wait a minute. Didn't we just say, didn't we just establish that they didn't need to be circumcised? This is the whole point. It says that they went from there. It says he circumcised, and then they went and told everybody you didn't have to be circumcised. That doesn't make any sense. Aren't Paul and Silas and Timothy now, aren't they going around telling the churches that you have liberty and there's grace? What we need to notice here is that it says that Timothy's mother was a Jew and his father a Greek. Timothy was legally a Jew. He was legally a Jewish believer at this point. However, in practice, he had never fully come under the law of Moses. And this would ultimately serve as a hindrance in their ministry amongst the Jews and in the synagogue. Unlike the Gentile believers, as a Jew, Timothy would be considered an apostate Jew. He would have been considered a backslider, if you will, somebody who wasn't living the right way. And even amongst Jewish believers, this would have an impact to his credibility. Nowhere does it say here that in order to be saved or to complete Timothy's salvation, that he needed to be circumcised. Okay, that's not what's being communicated here. This, in fact, though it may seem contrary, in some ways almost fulfills the very idea of the Jerusalem decree that went out. Because this was, through Paul's leading, this was Timothy's way of ensuring that he didn't cause his Jewish brethren to stumble. This was his willingness to sacrifice to support them so that they wouldn't constantly be wondering, well, can we really believe what this guy is telling us. He's an apostate Jew. I mean, he's, he, he didn't even fulfill his requirements as a Jew. This was the thing that Timothy would do, something that he wasn't required to do, but that he did so that he wouldn't cause any issues. See, the truth is this issue of liberty that is throughout these two chapters, they were and they still are a big deal to the church, even to us today. These were a big deal to Paul. He wrote of this in Galatians, he wrote of it in Romans, he wrote of it in Corinthians, because of this very issue. You know, one minute we're reading this, and the next minute we're seeing this. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, it says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. You see, Paul had this understanding of the law of love. He said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make myself appealing to you so that 
you will receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Provided it was not something that would be contrary to the word of God, if adopting it as a practice, for example, you know, Paul wasn't going to suddenly say, well, I'll go ahead and worship idols with you just to show you that that's cool too. You know, no, he wouldn't have done that. He would look right in the word and say, no, we're not going to do that. But by being circumcised or by saying, hey, you know what? I won't eat that either. I'll go ahead and stop eating that. No worries. I'll go ahead and stop watching that. I'll go ahead and stop doing this or doing that. If that's going to help you, if that's going to show you that I'm sincere in what I believe, that I'm genuine in my desire to share the gospel with you, then I'm going to sacrifice it. I'm going to give it up because you know what? Your eternal salvation is more important to me than any of those other things. That's what Paul was communicating here. That's why he told Timothy, hey, suck it up, buddy. We're going to circumcise you. But you know what? This is going to make you more effective in ministry. And yes, we praise God that that's not a requirement today, right? Here he says in Romans 14, 19 through 21, Paul writes this, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Once again here, do we have that heart? You see, we could beat a dead horse here, but the principle remains. Christian, you will either point people to Jesus or away through your actions. And small sacrifices on your part can mean all the difference in the walk of another. And that needs to be our heart. That needs to be our heart. Now, this can go to extremes, If we go earlier in Romans 14, we can see justification there for sometimes how certain people may take their own convictions to an extreme, right? And do we need to, in all cases, be so sensitive to what everybody around us thinks or feels or whatever the case may be that we just, oh, suddenly I'm just sitting at home all the time drinking water so that everybody else feels okay. Once again, it's a life of balance, but here would be the challenge, and Paul would give us the same challenge today. How big of a deal is it to you? Is it more important than their salvation? How far are you willing to go to be used by the Lord to speak truth into somebody's life and to show them that you care? That's what we're being called to here. And so in verse 6, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what a wonderful example we have here of the leading of the Spirit and the plan of God being accomplished. The reality is that going to Macedonia was not on Paul's list. He did not plan on going there. There was two other places that he was attempting to go, but the Spirit it said, forbade it. He wanted to head to the area known as Asia at the time. It wouldn't be quite the Asia that we know today. It would have been primarily Turkey. And he wanted to go, it says, then to Bithynia. And and finally, he resolves to go to Macedonia after seeing a vision of a man needing help. How many of you have ever determined to do something that just wasn't God's plan? Right on. We do that sometimes, right? And here's the thing. I'm not saying that even when you did that, you were in sin. I'm not saying it was something that you thought, well, you know, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to go do this instead. You may have thought, this is perfect. How could God not bless this? This is such a wonderful plan. 
This will bring him glory. This will get the gospel out there. But yet for some reason, you just kept running into closed door after closed door after closed door. You see, sometimes that's the case, right? Even if it seems perfect, you know, we think to ourselves, why wouldn't God bless this? That sometimes it's just not God's plan. We had a principle in the corporate world that governed our personnel decisions, and it really, in my opinion, applies in most places. It was called right person, right place, right time. We would go to almost painstaking lengths to ensure that whoever we placed in a particular position was just the perfect person for that position. We would debate over and over again. People would be convinced that, oh, this is the one. They're the one. They're going to be the perfect one to go here and to fix this situation or whatever the case may be. And we would just debate it over and over again to make sure that we were as confident as we possibly could be. And so this is a principle that applies in really any case, but different than in any job or corporate environment. When you apply the Holy Spirit to that decision-making process, you're going to have greater insight into what it is that God wants and His timing. And so here, Paul had it in his mind that he was the right guy to go to this particular place at this particular time, but God said no. He had to surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He had to be willing to obey. And in time, the Lord showed him exactly where he was to go. And in the same manner, the Lord will show you. We didn't have resolve that we're not going to rush into something just because it seems good. I've done it far too many times, so I don't stand here as one who says, oh, I get this right. We need to not rush into things because it seems good. We need to wait for the Lord to open the door to ensure that He is in it. And so here, though not originally planned, they make their way to Macedonia, which means they are now taking the gospel not to Asia, but to Europe for the first time. Paul, upon receiving the vision, it says, then responds immediately. So, you know, he's still excited. Right, because finally he's got direction. Okay, we're going to go do this. And he goes and he says, immediately they go and they take off as they sail from Troas. It says, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. And what this means is they had the wind at their back. I mean, now that they were given the go-ahead, now that they were given the open door, I mean, they cruised. They were there quickly. And note that it said us now, not they. And so what this means now is Luke, Dr. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, is now joining them. This is a cool little subtle transition here that now it's not just Timothy and Silas and Paul, but now Luke is along with them. He says in verse 11, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is in the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And so here they sail from Asia to Europe. And I don't know that Paul even considered the gravity of this or that we consider the gravity of it today. That here now the gospel is coming to this place that would mean that here the gospel is going to start to spread to, for many of us, our ancestors going way back. And then eventually to the settling of the Americas. I mean, if you start to just track it from there, I mean, this is the gospel going forth and permeating culture throughout history in such a way that we experience the impact of it today. And on the Sabbath day, verse 13, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, this is a little bit different for a couple of reasons. First, they are gathered at a riverside for prayer, not in the synagogue. What this tells us is that there were not enough Jewish men in this area to even warrant a synagogue. How many Jewish men did it take? Ten or more. And so this gives you an idea of how small the Jewish population was there. They didn't have ten men that would warrant a synagogue in the area, but apparently there was many devout women that were meeting along the riverside for prayer. And so. 
We don't know exactly how many, but Paul and the others, they're addressing this group of Jewish women, and this too is countercultural, right? Of course, we saw with Jesus his willingness to minister directly to women, especially women that society had cast out. And here, Paul's picking up that style and that approach, that understanding of, of what the gospel means. Rabbis of the day would have said that it is better that the law be burned up than be delivered to women. Not the case through the grace of Jesus Christ. Not the case for the gospel. And so Paul did not operate that way any longer. And here he's ministering to this group of women, and he's excited to share with them and to preach the gospel in this new area. He had gone out with that mindset, God's going to do something great here. And now a certain woman, in verse 14, Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Lydia was a successful businesswoman who had come from Greece. And she was a Jewish proselyte. It meant that she was worshiping the one true God of Israel. That She may not have come entirely under the Jewish law, but she believed. She believed that there was just one God, not these other idols or other gods that had been made by man. And the original language in this passage tells us that Paul was not preaching here, but that he was having a conversation with Lydia, sharing with her about the Lord. It was in this conversation that the Lord gave her understanding, a reminder to us that it's the Lord who opens the heart, it's the Spirit that draws, such that she was able to heed the words that were being shared with her. And and because of this, her house was saved and baptized. You see, it's evidence here that God used Paul to share the truth with her. Now, once again, Paul's living testimony and confidence in sharing the word led to this woman's repentance and salvation. See, we have influence in this life for the cause of Christ. It requires, however, just like we see here in Paul, what we have in this account here today with Paul is a little bit of an understanding of how he operated and how we too should operate, and that's by faith. We've talked about this a lot over the last several weeks, that following Christ requires faith. It requires a submission to the Holy Spirit, a willingness to trust and obey. But that when we do that, God uses us in mighty ways, just like he did with Paul. And I want to emphasize this as we consider what we've read here today. Dr. Chapin Marsh, in his book, Faith Factor, says this of the outcomes of faith. He says, there are three outcomes of faith. First, that our hope is fulfilled. Secondly, that our faith is increased. And thirdly, that our lives become a living testimony or gospel for God's glory. You see, Paul had hoped to take the word further. Paul was going out on his second missionary journey. He wanted to go and he wanted to preach the word. He wanted to see the gospel go forth to change lives, to change hearts and minds. Through trusting in and obeying the Holy Spirit, his hope was fulfilled. His faith strengthened and his life then serving as a testimony. And the same can be true of each and every one of you. Of every one of us, this same thing can be true. Paul had a plan. Paul had a perspective. What Paul wanted to do was make him known. He wanted to make him known. But the way in which that was going to happen didn't align with what Paul had planned out. But through a surrender to the Holy Spirit, Paul's hope was fulfilled. His faith was strengthened, and his life became a living testimony. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may that be true of each of us here, Lord. 
that I know that everyone that's here, Lord, is in a different walk, Lord, right now. We're dealing with different things, Lord, that may be similar, but to us it's unique, Lord. And I know that there may be some here that in the midst of that, they're struggling. They're struggling to be able to just trust, to obey, to surrender. And Lord, I pray for that individual, those people that may be here today in that place, Lord, that you, through your spirit, Lord, would work. You'd help them, Lord, to trust, to surrender, Lord. And that in that, they would see, Lord, their hope fulfilled. And as their faith is strengthened, as they see you working, Lord, that their lives would become a living testimony that we, as a collective body of believers, may make you known. And Father, we thank you and we praise you that we could be used in such a way that the creator of the universe would seek to incorporate us into into your plan and purpose, your ministry here on this earth. So Lord, we thank you for that. And if there's anyone here today that may not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they'd surrender today, that they would just say, and they'd pray with me now, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I ask today that you'd forgive my sins that I invite Jesus Christ into my life, that I recognize that through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice upon the cross, his body broken, his blood shed, that through belief in that and through repentance of my sins, that I can live for eternity today. Father, I want you to come into my life to do with me as you will, to use my life as you see fit, to glorify you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.